Tonight, would you turn in your Bible to two passages of Scripture, the first in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and the other in 2 Peter chapter 1. And I'd like for us to look at both of these passages of Scripture as we think together about the pressing question that is upon us as Baptists concerning the Word of God and its position of authority and responsibility in our own lives, in our church, and in our cooperation with other Christian people. May we pray. Our Father, we pray for the land of America. We know that this land has been touched by the Word of God and it has been a land of enlightenment until that word began to be rejected. We pray for our Western civilization, a civilization that has been enlightened and given light to a whole world until that word of God began to be rejected. We pray for our own lives, lives that have been touched by God, the Holy Spirit. And Lord, how vain and how empty and how dry and how what a drought there is spiritually when we neglect the Word of God or reject it and we pray for our Christian movement called Baptists that we would not forsake the moorings and the anchor of the Word and give us faith and fidelity to the Word of God as we go in Jesus name even in this place tonight, we pray that someone who is without Christ will hear from heaven because the word of God is honored. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is writing, of course, to Timothy. And beginning in verse 12, he says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall become worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, rather 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 15, Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, unto which ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not at any time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now Simon Peter is saying, I'm going to be going to heaven soon. I do not know when. Tradition tells us that Peter died on a cross, crucified upside down, because he said, I'm not worthy to die the same way our Lord died. But before that happened, Peter was writing this epistle and he said, I'm going, I'm going to die. My departure is coming. And then he reminded the, the people he was writing to of that experience he had in what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, where Peter, James, and John were with the Lord on what they called the Holy Mount. I think it was Mount Hermon. And they, the Lord was transfigured before them. And they saw Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And their eyes were open. They recognized them. And they saw Jesus in all of his glory. They saw things that were, were not even lawful to record. And then that all passed. And Jesus said, let's go back down to the valley where the people are. Now in recounting that in 2 Peter, he said as important as that is, and as real as that was, and as precious as that was, and I even said to the Lord, Lord, let's build three tabernacles up here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Let's just stay here. This is glorious. Peter said, uh, he didn't say it right there, but later Jesus rebuked him and said, you don't know what you're asking, you can't do that. But Peter, recounting that experience years later, said, as important as that was, and as wonderful as that experience was, we have a more sure word of prophecy, the word of God. It is more valid than my vision of what I saw, Moses and Elijah. It is more valid than that experience I had on the holy mountain when I saw Jesus translated the word of God. Many of you may never have a vision of Moses and Elijah. May, many of you may never see the Lord in his glory until you die and go to heaven. I have seen that, Peter said. But I want to tell you, we have a more sure word of prophecy. And that sure word of prophecy is the word of God. Amen. Now, Baptists through the ages have been called the people of the book. Everywhere you found Baptists, they have been people who have honored the Word of God. And the reason God has honored Baptists is not because of our name and not even because of our methods. Sometimes our methods aren't really that good. The reason God has honored Baptists is because Baptists have honored the Word of God. And probably the strongest group of Baptists in all the world have been the group called Southern Baptists because we honored the word. Now in those early years, we had a narrow theology, just simply believe the Bible. And then as Baptists began to work with other Baptists, we had a narrow program. That is, we, we, did, we did what we did together, 
but it was always geared to the narrow theology of our Baptist of our of our Bible and then the program began to enlarge itself in addition to having foreign missionaries we had home missionaries in addition to that we had people that needed to speak for uh, uh, principles Christian principles here in America we needed to have learning uh, institutions of higher learning colleges and seminaries where our people go we needed to have hospitals and so all these were outgrowths of the gospel valid outgrowths of the gospel but still even though the program was beginning to enlarge the theology was very narrow it was all anchored to the Bible and then some years ago some of our theologians began to go to Germany and to the continent and they began to study German rationalism and they studied under Barth and Brunner and Bultmann and some other men like that. And they came back to our seminaries and began to teach that maybe the miracles were not real. That maybe Jonah was not a real character. Maybe just a fictional character. Maybe the first 11 chapters of Genesis taught profound truths. They were myths. Now myth did not mean a fairy story. It meant that this was a story composed to teach a profound truth it may not have been historical for example the flood with Noah was a great myth it just taught that God brings judgment but it doesn't mean necessarily that there was a worldwide flood or that Noah was a real character or you take Adam and Eve Adam and Eve were just representatives of human beings it is not necessary to believe that Adam was a real person, that Eve was a real person. And so those first 11 chapters of Genesis began to be foggy. And after a while, you couldn't know for sure whether they were real or whether they weren't real. The same thing was told about Jonah. The same thing was told about Elijah and Elisha and the miracles of the Old Testament. And then they began to invade the New Testament and the miracles of the New Testament and so on. And after a while, Many of those who were teaching in the seminaries began to teach these things and some of the preachers began to believe them. And when the preachers would come and say, you know, such and such a thing has been taught in the seminary. Why people would say, that's not true. We're Baptists. Nobody would teach a thing like that. And so you, it, you'd be made a fool of. I've been to the convention years ago when some... Uh, somebody would get up on the convention floor and he'd say maybe he wasn't hadn't had an opportunity to have much education but he said I read in this Sunday school quarterly such and such a thing that that they said that Jonah wasn't real or that Job didn't really have an encounter with the devil and he said I make a motion we fire those people and the president would get up and say sir you're out of order and nothing like that happens in our institutions and so it was all swept under the carpet and that happened over and over and over until some men that God laid upon the hearts of some of the men who were influential, mainly Judge Paul Pressler, who was a man, a judge, a circuit court judge in Texas, and he studied carefully the constitution of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he learned in that constitution 
that the president has great appointive powers and that he can appoint a committee on committees and that committee on committees then recommends to the convention the trustees and the people who are responsible for the various institutions and commissions and, and, uh, and uh, seminaries and so on of our work. And if that president will take advantage of his opportunity to appoint men who believe the scripture, that eventually the convention could be brought back to where it once was. This was discovered in 1976. And some of the men that were in great authority at that time knew it was discovered and they did everything they could to keep Adrian Rogers from being elected president. And he wasn't elected. 76, 77, 78. But in 1979, conservative people began to go to the convention. And Adrian Rogers was elected president. The liberals called him the worst president we've ever had. Because he appointed only men who were inerrantists, who believed the word of God on that committee on committees. And the committee on committees then recommended to the convention trustees who believed the Bible. And for nine years, churches like this and others have been sending messengers to the Southern Baptist Convention and those messengers have gone with a great prayer, a great reverence for the Word of God, a great spiritual concern to elect a man who would not compromise on those principles and on those committee appointments. And so for nine years we've seen things begin to happen. For example, in the Home Mission Board we now have Larry Lewis, President. One of the leaders of the liberal movement said, I'm going to see to it that any church I have influence over will never send another penny to the Home Mission Board because the Home Mission Board is run by Larry Lewis who believes the inerrancy of the Scripture. Larry Lewis is directing our Home Mission Board in the way it was directed scores of years ago. And we're going to see a resurgence of spiritual evangelism in America. The Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary had become perhaps the most liberal of all of our seminaries. Dr. Lawley was the president of that seminary. He's the man that went to the brewery in North Carolina and prayed the dedication prayer at the brewery. And Dr. Lawley, the Southeastern began to have, little by little, they began to have conservative trustees as a result of our president appointing certain uh, appointed uh, certain committees and so on and so southeastern began to have conservative trustees and when there was a majority of conservative trustees they brought a resolution to say at this seminary we're going to do what the peace committee of the southern baptist convention has suggested that is that we elect faculty members who believe the baptist faith and message and the word of god Dr. Lawley said, well, I can't tolerate that. So he resigned. And he resigned with a plain plan to do everything he could to wreck that seminary and hurt the work. And he's gone everywhere saying, we want to elect Richard Jackson president of the convention. Now, Richard Jackson is an inerrantist. 
Isn't that interesting? He's a conservative. He believes the Bible. He's built a strong church in Phoenix, Arizona. To hear him, you would think you're hearing uh, uh, an old-fashioned uh, preacher like W.A. Crystal. But Richard Jackson, and I respect him and love him, but Richard Jackson has been stolen by the liberal element. And they have convinced him that if he becomes president, he uh, will represent the conservatives because he's a conservative man, but he will not take a stand on those appointments. And he'll appoint across the board, getting back liberals into the various institutions of the convention. Jesse, uh, Dr. Down at, down at uh, First Baptist Church in Jacksonville. Who am I trying to say? Brother Jerry Vines. Dr. Jerry Vines is, is the co-pastor of First Baptist Church in Jacksonville. He's going to be nominated as president of the convention. And so the problem this year is going to be between Richard Jackson and an errantist. And Jerry Vines and an errantist. And you see, this is the way the devil works to deceive people. Richard Jackson is a fine man. To hear him, you would love him. But he will not take any stand on these appointments. And if he's elected, next year the appointments will be going, begin to go the other way. He'll probably be elected for two years. And the appointments will go the other way. And what we've gained for these eight or nine years will be somewhat dissipated. If if Dr. Jerry Vines is elected, he's going to continue this plan of appointing people who believe the Word of God. And Southern Baptist Convention is going to go back to its moorings. It may take a little while longer, it may take another 10 years, maybe 20 years if the Lord tarries, but it's going that direction. And this has made the liberals very, very upset. And. This year, they're, 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 they're expecting perhaps 40 to 50,000 people to come to that convention in San Antonio. Now, an ordinary convention has about 15 to 20,000. For the last several years, during all of this heated discussion, we've had large numbers. I think at Dallas, there were 45,000. At Atlanta, about 40,000. Last year, it was a little bit off. But uh, this year they're expecting 40 to 50,000 people. Now why should that many people go? Why should the churches hold the line? Why should we send messengers? And why should we help them with their expenses and so on? Well, here's the reason. Number one, the denominational leaders in our convention who, who are on salaries are paid by funds from our mission organizations and their expenses to the convention are paid and they're paid to go and vote liberal. To offset that, there have to be little people all across America from little churches who will pay the price to go and hold the line. And that's the thing that these denominational leaders have not understood. And that there's, there's a reason there's so much of a battle. They don't understand, why would, why would you care? That we care because of the Word of God. What does the Bible say 
What does the Bible teach? And this is where we stand as Baptists. Next Sunday night, the Lord willing, at Training Union, I will discuss this more, and I have a tape recording of Dr. Rogers discussing the problem, and I want to share that with us, and I hope many of us will be at the adult forum on Sunday night. I want to just close the service tonight by asking you to pray for the Southern Baptist Convention. This has been a great work. I was saved in a Southern Baptist church. I went to three Southern Baptist schools, Campbellsville College, Union University of Jackson, Tennessee, Southern Baptist Seminary at Louisville. It burdens my heart when I think of this great Baptist body in some of the liberal stands that have been taken. For example, among the liberal stands has been the Christian Life Commission, which until recently would not take a stand at all on abortion. The Public Affairs Committee, until recently, has called any kind of uh, talk about having prayer in the public schools, demagoguery, uh, refusal to face the fact that we have separation from church and state, they are for the Supreme Court edict that put prayer and Bible out of the public schools. These are sponsored by Southern Baptist Convention. I never had understood that. I used to write to them and say, please send me your materials to why you take stands like that. I couldn't understand it. And they would have all this ghibli rock about, you know, separation of church and state. But inside my soul, I knew there was something wrong. There is no such thing as separation from, of God from government. How many of you grew up in a school years ago where they read the Bible in school? Did it hurt you? Did it warp your personality? What did it do to you? They say, well, we're pluralists in our society now. We have many religions. So what? Who founded America? They're afraid a Catholic will pray. Well, let him pray. They're afraid a Muslim will pray. Let him pray. Elijah wasn't afraid when he went out to Mount Carmel and he had all those prophets of Baal come up there. He said, pray, 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 pray. Go on and pray. Let the God that answers by fire be God. We don't have to be afraid of that. But in throwing out the water, we've thrown out the baby with the water. In throwing out prayer and Bible, we've thrown out the great mooring that has been America. And if you'll notice back in our history in 1964 when that thing began, America on the pedestal began to go down, down, down. We have no friends in the whole world. We're in deep financial problems, a terrible deficit. We have a drug problem that is staggering and one political party this year says that's gonna be the major thing this year, the drug problem. Why is all that? Because there will not be permitted in the schools principles of moral righteousness and truth and so on. I, I, I know that that's not altogether true. There are some exceptions to that. But I want to just say when you lose your authority, which is the word of God, you lose all the authority. And when a church, when a Baptist church loses its authority, which is the word of God, it loses all the authority. And that's the reason it's so important 
for us to take those stands. That's the reason it's so important for us to ask people in our congregation to leave their personal things and to go at a sacrifice of time and effort and energy and finances and so on and take those stands representing our church in the convention. So I wanted to lay that on your heart and ask you to pray. I know this has not been much of a sermon. It's sort of a report. But I felt like it was important that we understand what the issues are and what we're facing in these next few weeks. Pray for God's hand on San Antonio. For the Lord to direct. For the Lord to send the proper persons there that will take the stands that need to be taken. And I believe God will bless us as we do it. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee for this time of discussion tonight. Thank You for the great people of the Glendale Baptist Church. Lord, I have been conscious tonight as I've tried to speak and bring this brief word that I'm speaking to some of the greatest and finest people that have ever walked the earth. Thank you for the energy, the creativity, the love, the concern, the compassion, the care about people, those who have been faithful in giving, those who have been faithful in going, those who have been faithful in worshiping, those who have been faithful in devotional lives, those who have been faithful in caring about souls, Thank you for those who have gone in years gone by to the convention to take the stand that needs to be taken. Lord, we pray that I will raise up those that could go to San Antonio and take care of their financial means and needs. And may the Lord's hand be upon it. God bless Dr. Jerry Vines. We thank you that he's been available, that he's made himself available to, to be in a position where he could be nominated. We thank you for Dr. Adrian Rogers and we pray that we'll build a fire, a wall of fire about him and make him impregnable to all those enemies that would like to see him, his honor laid in the dust. God bless him and bless all of those in authority over us. And now, Father, we pray that anyone in this place tonight who has never been saved would come to Jesus and some who are saved would begin to walk closely with the Christ and serve Him and love Him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. Brother Jim, let's sing tonight how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent word. What more could He say than to you He hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? The wonderful word of God. Dr. Lee used to say, I'm willing to become a human bonfire for the Word of God. That has not been necessary in our generation, in our Western world. But did you know there are hundreds of preachers and, and just plain Christians, women and men both, that are languishing in prisons in Siberia and in other parts of the world. And why? because they said you can't dictate to my conscience you can't dictate to my heart the Bible tells me to do this and I'm going to do it the Bible says I must witness that I must tell others about Jesus and they've been arrested and thrown in prison 
and been ill-treated because they did that. That has not happened in America uh, largely. There are isolated incidents where it has happened. May God grant that that will be a thing that will not happen in this nation. And that as long as there's liberty and freedom, we, we Baptists would take the stand for the word of God. If you have heard God speak to your heart tonight and there's any commitment you ought to make, would you make it while we sing this? Let's sing all the stanzas, Brother Jim.